If I'm going to be broke, I wanted it to be on my terms. I wanted it to be because I was doing the right things with my money instead of letting my life and my habits and my actions decide how I was going to be living. So I was broke on purpose instead of being aimlessly broke. Today, we are continuing our Thoughtful Money series with a woman that I just really admire. I got a chance to meet her in my group coaching program, Command the Stage, and her story just blew me away. Definitely something for us all to consider when we're thinking about being more thoughtful with money. Melody Wright's story is a story that many people, if we're going to be honest, have faced. Maybe you didn't hide any debt to the tune of 200,000 plus, but you have been guilty perhaps of stashing shopping bags somewhere or not quite telling the full truth about your student loans or some other form of debt to your significant other. And so Melody's story is not as unique as we would like it to sound, but she does have a story that's based on hope and what's possible when we get more thoughtful with money and the conversations around it. Melody Wright is a trained Ph.D. scientist that left her safety goggles behind to become a financial empowerment coach, certified financial education instructor, speaker and personal finance author. Melody understands that a financial plan isn't one size fits all. As a matter of fact, she was faced with $212,000 of debt that did not include her mortgage. She used the analytical skills learned from her time in science to develop a framework that helped her family pay off $100,000 in debt in less than three years. Melody believes that we all have the ability to live our own version of a rich life, and she's here to help you move past the disorganization and confusion that is your current financial state and help you put the personal back in your personal finances. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Melody Robinson Wright. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth podcast, Melody. Hi, Patrice. How are you? I am well. Talk about hard to get scheduled. (laughs) Man. Yes. It was so hard to get us back on track, but thank you for grace. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. When I thought about the Thoughtful Money series, I was really looking for people who could have just different conversations about how to be more thoughtful, how to be more introspective, how to not just go with the typical, you know, advice that may be out there or follow the crowd. And I instantly thought of you. So I have to take it back. I'm going to take it back to when I was aware of the melody, right? Which was when you came to command the stage. So that was my first time getting to know you. I'm not sure if you knew how long you knew me before then or knew of me. I knew of you for a while. And actually, when I posted about my book, Start Here, Your Guide to Building Your Money Management System, you commented and were like, congratulations. But can I say you are so pretty? And I was like, oh, my God, Patrice, call me pretty. (laughs) So I fangirled over you for, for that moment. But I have been watching you and following your journey for a while. I think since before, I think since since last year, not last year, 2020, but like 2019. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. So I met Melody when she came to command the stage. And what was what was the thing that made you come to command the stage? Because you were very accomplished. Like when I looked you up, I'm like, she's got a book. She's already done some TV. Like she's out here making noise, being gorgeous. What made you say yes to command the stage? You know, the thing about it, Patrice, is that I've always felt like I just was not that great of a speaker. And the reason why I say this is because I have a PhD. And so I did a lot of speaking during my PhD program, but I also was up against a lot of adversity in my PhD program where I was told that I didn't speak well, or I was always corrected, or somebody was always interrupting me. So it planted that seed of doubt in my mind where I was just like, I don't, I don't think I speak well. Like, I don't think I speak as eloquently as everybody else. And so I've always been on this journey to try to speak better, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And so I feel like I'm up against this phenom called tip of tongue phenom, where you have the word in your head and you're, and you're talking and you're just ha- you're flowing. And then all of a sudden you forget what you want to say. So for me, because I was always being interrupted and because I was always just feeling like I was being judged in those rooms. I feel like now, like I get flustered and I get that tip of tongue phenom that happens and it's embarrassing to me. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I just want to do what I need to do to learn how to speak better, to learn how to command the stage. And so really that's what drew me to it. But what kept me from signing up initially was I just didn't have the funds, right? And so I was like, okay, maybe next time, like maybe later I'll be able to do it. And then you sent an email out and you were like, we have one spot left. And so a still small voice was like, that's yours. And I was sitting on the couch, knew I barely had enough money to pay for it, but I was like, I'm going to make it work. And so I signed up for the class and it was literally life-changing. One of the best classes that I have ever taken. No kidding. One of the best classes I've ever taken. Oh my gosh. That makes me feel so good. Well, when I heard you speak, the only thing... I I mean, I remember the story, which is why I invited you here. But one of the things that I remember in particular about our small group, I think, or when you shared your story, I was like, Melody, what are all these big words? Because you, so we know you for broke on purpose, which we'll get to, but you are degreed in like a whole bunch of other stuff. (laughs) What is it? Because I won't be able to say it. It's funny because when I was in high school, my mom asked me what I was going to do after I graduated. And I was like, dude, girl, I'm done. I can stay 12 years of life school. You crazy? Right? So I had no plans to go to any higher education place. But I ended up, you know, getting my bachelor's and getting my master's. And I have a PhD in microbiology, immunology, concentration in parasitology. And so basically what I did, and here come these big words. So I did. You guys should see how I'm looking at Melody right now. (laughs) Like I couldn't repeat that if someone said, Patrice, I'll give you a million dollars on on site. Say what she just said. I couldn't do it. So I did my research on Plasmodium falciparum, which is the causative agent of malaria. So huge pivot from broke on purpose and then and then being a parasitologist, you know, in a sense. So, yeah, that that's my background before I jumped into personal finance. Yes. What's so funny, you guys, though, is during Command the Stage, Melody was opening with all of that. And I was like, girl, (laughs) we... We don't know what that means. We can't hear the rest of what you're saying because we're still stuck on why we don't understand what you said in the first place. Like, we're like, what? Para who? Parasites? Para, like, right? 
And so it was just beautiful, though, to see how a few shifts like totally shifted your story. And it's incredible. And one of the one of the pieces of your story is about the day you had to tell your husband Mm -hmm. that you were in debt. So take us back to that season in your life. What happened leading up to you having to, you know, divulge this information? Yes, definitely. So um, crazy thing, Patrice, one day I was minding my own business. And the next day I found out that I had $212,000 of debt. It, every time I say that number, it takes my breath away. But I had but how did you just find out? <laughs> so my PI, when I was doing my PhD, you know, my PI, he ran the lab. He was basically my manager. He came to me and he was like, hey, you're going to be graduating in December. And I'm like, really? That's odd because I could have swore I had like three or four more years left. So with my PhD program, it was a longer program. It usually took you about six and a half, seven years to graduate. So, you know, you're coming to me at year three and you're telling me that I'm going to graduate. So I'm like, well, make that make sense. So for me being the planner that I am, well, I thought I was a planner. I said, okay, if I'm going to graduate in December, now it's March. Let me go home to figure out you know, what our finances look like so we can start saving money for if there's a time where I graduate that I don't automatically jump into a job, right? Or I don't get a postdoc or where I just don't have any money coming in. I was basically trying to prepare for a famine while we were feasting. So I sat down and I ran the numbers and girl, that 212,000 kept popping up on the screen. So I went and got another calculator because I was like, no, something's wrong, you know, did it again, 212,000. I got to be putting in a number at least four or five times, right? 212,000, it kept popping up. But here's the kicker, Patrice. It did not include the mortgage. I hadn't even added in the mortgage to that number. So you can imagine like how I felt just looking at the screen and just trying to process that we had $212,000 of debt that did not include our mortgage. And so- I probably went through like seven stages of grief, but for finances, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I was angry. I was upset. I was I was in denial. I was probably in denial for a long time, right? And then I was trying to wrap my head around like what I was going to do because here I am supposed to like be this person that has her life together. She's getting a PhD, right? You got these really nice things. Y'all got a house. Y'all going out to eat. You're doing this. You're doing that. How do you have $212,000 of debt? Like, how do I explain it to somebody? How do I explain it to my parents? So I wasn't able to tell anybody because how do you tell somebody this? And so I came up with the bright idea that, you know what? I got it. I'll figure it out. I'll just go to the bank and get a debt consolidation loan, you know, where they take like multiple credit cards and multiple loans and they put them into one. So you get one payment and one low interest rate. So I was like, that'll work. I've done this before. You know, I knew to this. I'm true to this. Like I can do this. Right. So I was like, I'll go to the bank and I'll get a debt consolidation loan. So I make an appointment, get to the bank. I'm sitting in the bank manager's office and I'm making small talk with him because You know, he didn't know that he was like really my only line of defense for being able to pay off this debt. Like he had no idea. So I had to come across come across like I was really confident, really secure. Like I need his money. I was just here because I wanted to see what it was going to look like. Right. But 
like you could probably smell smell the fear and anxiety that was coming off of me like if it did have a smell because I was that nervous. So I'm making small talk with him, you know, I'm laughing at his jokes. <laughs> oh yeah, that's so funny. I thought, yeah, I went there too. <laughs> you know, making comments about the pictures on his desk of his kids and his wife. Oh, they're so cute. Yeah, uh-huh. Oh, they play soccer. Making all the small talk because I felt like if I did all these things, then he was gonna be like, Oh, I like her. I'm gonna go ahead and give her right. you know, like forget, the numbers. Like forget the numbers. Forget the numbers. <laughs> So I knew I failed when he turned around and looked to me and said, Miss Wright, it says here that the bank will be in touch with their decision. So if you know anything about, you know, applying for a loan or applying for a credit card, when they say that they'll be in touch with their decision, that means that you ain't get it. So I was like, okay, I knew what that meant. And so when I was walking out the bank, I felt like I had a big scarlet like number on my head, not the scarlet letter, but the scarlet number that said like 212,000. I felt like everybody knew that I had just failed at trying to get a loan to help me pay down all this debt. And I had to go home and there was nothing, there was nowhere else for me to turn. I hadn't, there was nothing else for me to do, but I had to go home. And I felt like at this point, well, now you have to tell your husband. Like now you have to come clean. Like you tried everything, which is basically just one thing because there was nothing else for you to do that was legal. Like there was nothing legal that I could do. So I had to tell my husband. And so it took me, it took me a while to just to get up the courage to do it. Cause I was trying to figure out like, do I make his favorite meal? And then like kind of slip it on and be like, Oh, how's the steak? Yeah. Oh, it's good. Uh huh. But we got $212,000 of debt and I'm to put our more. Like, how do I break this to him? Like, do I like wear something nice that night and, you know, try to butter him up, you know, give him a little massage. Like, just That's break what him. I was thinking, like, girl. Something. Like, how do I ease this in? And I didn't do any of that. I think I just probably walked in his office and I was like, yeah, so I ran the numbers and we have $212,000 of debt and it doesn't include our mortgage, but don't worry, I got a plan. Like that's how I like ended it, right? (laughs) Because knowing I had no idea what I was going to do, I just did not want him to freak out because I was afraid that he was going to just be like, go ballistic, like a normal reaction to hearing that you have this much debt. And I'm pretty sure that I have erased the memory of what actually happened and replaced it with my own because he gave me so much grace. Mm. He gave me so much grace. He said, okay, what are we going to do about it? And I'm pretty sure like this is not the true memory, right? Because (laughs) it it can't be because it was, he was just so calm and he was like, so what are we going to do about it? And I'm over here like, don't worry, I have a plan. I got us. I got a plan. No idea what we we're going to do, but we we finally figured it out. We finally figured it out. And just to make a long story short, we were able to pay off over $100,000 in less than three years. Yes. Wow. Yes. yes. Wow. So that takes us to Broke on Purpose. And one yes. of the things I saw you post recently on Instagram was this meme kind of thing where it says aimlessly broke. And then you broke down the adjective for that and the noun. And then you said uh, broke on purpose is the antonym. Break down uh, aimlessly broke and why you choose to call yourself broke on purpose. Yeah, so aimlessly broke means that you are broke for no reason. You have no logical explanation for why you are broke. You're just out here just aimlessly broke, right? 
But when you're broke on purpose, that means that you're broke. But the reason why you're broke is because you have a plan and you have a purpose for how you're going to spend your money. You're saving, you're paying down debt, you're investing, you're gifting, you're doing all these different things. And that is the reason why you don't have an excess amount of money in your bank account. So think about it. When, we, when it comes to the African-American community, we throw around that word broke like, like it's not nothing, right? And it doesn't mean that we have no money in our bank account. It just means that our money doesn't look the way we want it to look, right? So if I'm going to be broke, I wanted it to be on my terms. I wanted it to be because I was doing the right things with my money instead of letting my life and my habits and my actions decide how I was going to be living. So I was broke on purpose instead of being aimlessly broke. I love that because one of the things you list here is that being aimlessly broke means you also have a lack of vision or goals for your finances. Mm -hmm. And so when you're broke on purpose, you're very clear, right? You've thought through what you want to accomplish by when, I'm sure. Yes. And you've created a plan to stick with it. Being broke on purpose, has it made conversations with friends or family easier? Because, of course, people always come up with ways and reasons to spend your money, right? And a lot of people don't have the muscle or the boundaries in place yet to really counter that. So they just kind of go with whatever, whomever wants to do. How have you been able to navigate those conversations? Or is there a time where something's come up and you had to pull out the, hey, I'm broke on purpose. Like, how does that work? And that, and that's funny that you asked that question because that's actually how the phrase broke on purpose came about. So in March, when I decided that, okay, we got this $212,000 of debt, March of 2015, we need to figure something out. I just decided that I was going to do what anybody would think to do. And I was going to um, stop shopping, stop eating out, you know, stop buying coffee and just take all the extra money and just put it towards the debt. And so when my friends would call me and say, hey, let's go out, let's do this. And I'd be like, well, I can't because I'm broke. And that would be my answer. I can't because I'm broke. Oh, you know, I'm broke, 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 right? So I would always say that. And I would even say it to like my family. And so my mom would call me and ask me about stuff. And I'm like, mom, you know, I'm broke. And she's like, you're not broke. And I'm like, no, but I'm broke on purpose, right? And so that's where broke on purpose came from because I said it so much that even my mom was saying to my family members, well, you know, Melody, you know, she over there broke on purpose, acting like she ain't got no money, you know? <laughs> so honestly, that is where the name came from. And it navigating conversations around it, it's been challenging, especially in the very beginning, um, because I realized that some of my friendships were friendships based on us being able to spend money together. So when we were no longer able to spend money together, they felt like I just wasn't the person that they wanted to be around because if I was asked to go out to eat or if I was asked about, hey, did you see that sale? Or, hey, did you get something like this? And I'd be like, no, you guys know I'm broke. Or I would even be sharing my financial successes and saying, oh my gosh, we just paid this off. Oh my gosh, we just did that. And I felt like a lot of people weren't ready to be in the position that I was in to be really in control and serious about their finances. So to them, it come off like I was bragging oh, we just did this, or we just paid this off, or we saved this much money. And because they weren't ready to be living the lifestyle that I was living, they really weren't ready to accept like my successes and be able to celebrate that with me. And so we ended up having to part ways. When it comes to family, my family, they know I love to talk about finances. They know I love to talk about how we can be better at money. And so it's, I think they listen, you know, they kind of smile and nod. 
But I feel like even though they're smiling and nodding, I know that they are taking action behind the, behind the scenes. I might not see them doing anything, but I know they are doing it. And I've actually had family members now because I've been talking about it so much because I've been sharing my successes so much that they finally come and ask me, you know, questions. Well, what would you do? Well, what do, what do you think about this situation? What do you think about that situation? So they really don't have open and honest conversations with me, but I have open and honest conversations with them because I know as long as somebody's talking about it, somebody is going to be listening. That's so good. That's so good. And it's, it's a really great example of how sometimes people will even want your results, but not necessarily want the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if you were to talk to people today, as you do every day about, you know, finances in general and things they can do, I don't know about you, but I know I still get that. Well, that's easy for you to say, wait a minute, (laughs) wait a minute, because you're looking at a decade in the making. I didn't start this yesterday, right? Like I've been at this more than that, like 12 years in this particular journey and pursuit. And people will say, well, that's easy for you to say, or, oh, so now you want to tell us about X, Y, Z, which is why I'm personally very hesitant in really sharing Mm -hmm. the depths of whatever financial success I've had. Like I'm very delicate about when and who and how I share because I know a lot of people, family, friends, acquaintances, that in the same amount of time when I wanted to share and give advice back then, they, they couldn't see it and didn't, they couldn't see it. They weren't ready to receive it. And they weren't ready to sacrifice and put in the work, which is fine. But now you fast forward and they're like, hey, 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 cuz, how'd you, right? Like now it's all the stuff and now I'm saying it and it's like, well, you're making that sound easy. Well, I'm not, well, now I'm not in it anymore. So now I'm just telling you. Exactly. (laughs) Like this is what I did, but I'm not saying it was easy while I was doing it. Yeah. And, and for me, you know, what I realized was that I would get a lot of comments from people would just say, oh, well, the only reason why you can do X, Y, Z is because you don't have any kids. Or the only reason why you can do X, Y, Z is because you guys are a too high earner household or, you know, something like that. But people didn't realize was when we started, I was a PhD student, meaning I was only bringing home $25,000 a year, $25,000 a year working over 40 hours a week. And that's all I had. So we weren't high earners the whole entire time. Actually, there were even there were even times when I was completely unemployed, but we were still making strides because we stuck to what our values were and we stuck to what our goals were and we knew what was important for us when it came to finances. And so a lot of times I try to explain to people, you can't look at somebody and compare your journey to theirs because you have to do what is right for you, you know, within yourself. So if you say, I just want to pay down this one card and that's all you do, then I need you to celebrate that. Don't say I'm going to be debt free like her because you don't know what it took for her to get debt free. You know, the sacrifices she made, you don't know how many extra jobs she worked. You don't know what things she gave up, like time with her family, just so she could do this really quickly. So I tell people to be very careful about some of the success stories we see on social media. Yes, celebrate with them, but don't take that as your, I need to be like them and do it like them because it's going to look different for everybody. Oh, that's so good. That is such great advice. And as we talk about just being more thoughtful, that is definitely one of the things you need to lean into. What is your actual financial goal? 
and being okay with the fact that it evolves, right? So what is your goal in one season? Once you knock that out, you may be ready to evolve to the next thing. It's not do all the things because I think that's how people overwhelm themselves. You know, I hear people like, (laughs) they're like this year, I'm going to pay off my student loan. I'm going to save $10,000. I'm going to launch my business. I'm going to do all the things. I'm going to buy an investment property. I'm like, well, how many buckets do you have going on here? It would be better to be thoughtful about one goal that you can really attach yourself to and tackle and be focused on. Exactly. And I share a story like this. So I I had an article come out on Grow um, CNBC back in August where I talked about how I had to do a pivot in terms of my financial goals. We were once we started to get that traction and realize that we actually could pay off a lot of this debt. So I think the first month, March 2015, we paid off 25, 23 to $2,500 of our debt, right? And I was like, oh, shoot, like, if you don't do these other things, you can actually pay off debt. Like, that's a thing. Why did nobody tell me, right? So, like, there we started to see a lot of traction. And in that first year, I think we paid off, like, 28000 I think in the next year, we paid off, like, thirty six. So, like, it kept growing. Um, but we were so focused on paying off the debt that we weren't living life. And after we paid off that $100,000, I was just like, you know what? I'm tired. I can't live like this. Like I said, I wanted to be debt free, but I also want to travel. I also want to invest. I also want to like eat something nice. I also want to buy clothes. Like I also want to live. And so finances are financial situations. I like, even when I coach people, I tell them they're fluid. They're not set in stone. Like they're going to shift and mold and melt to whatever is happening in your life. So if you want to change whatever it is you're doing, you have permission to do so. You have the permission to change your mind. So for me, I told my husband, I was like, I still want to pay off debt, but not at the speed that we're doing it. We can finally breathe. We have room. We can live off of one income. We have our emergency fund set up. Now let's like enjoy life and live. And so that's how we've shifted. We're still paying off student loan debt, like, we're, but we're able to, like, you know, we were able to buy a, our, a new house. Like, we've been able to, you know, still live off of one income and be okay doing that. We, we could travel when it was safe to go outside. <laughs> um, you know, we could do all these things and we don't worry about money anymore or the weight of debt because we worked so hard in the beginning. But by working hard in the beginning, it gave us the option to slow down later. So I that's love what that. Realize, yeah. I love that. I do think that there has to be balance there. And it's one of the reasons that I teach from the six pillars of wealth, because I don't want people, even paying off debt can be a form of chasing money. Yes. It's it's the other side of the Mm -hmm. same coin. So people who become so obsessed with their debt payoff, right? The debt elimination strategy to the point of like, now your relationship is deteriorating because you won't have a date night. Mm-hmm. Now your kids don't like you because they can't get a stick of chewing gum. Okay. Because it's not in the budget. Mm-hmm. Like now you can't ever do anything or have any joy or happiness. And I've seen people where they were going through, you know, Dave Ramsey's baby steps as an example. This is no shade to Dave Ramsey. So don't send me a DM or email me. I'm saying as an example, they went through a very intense debt repayment plan and totally gave up any and everything that brought them joy. And as soon as they paid it off, this is a real couple I know, as soon as they paid it off, a year later, they were back in debt. 
Mm-hmm. They were back. They they took three, four years to pay it all off and then just ran it up. But they had no discipline. Mm-hmm. It was all or nothing. And that's not how I believe you should live life. Like, I really do believe in investing in the things that also bring me joy. But I have exactly. to learn how to do it in moderation. Yes, balance, balance, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I tell people like, you have to live a life with balance. And so when I hear some people say, oh, I'm going to do, it's a no buy month or I'm doing a no buy. I'm like, why? Like you're human. Like it's okay to give yourself a small amount that you will be able to use towards whatever you were doing a no buy on. So if you're like, oh, I'm doing a no buy, I'm not going to buy any coffee. Give yourself like $30 for the month. Like that $30 is not going to make or break you because once you get off that no buy, you're going to be buying coffee almost every single day to try to make up for that. And maybe coffee's not the best example. Let's say you have a crafting hobby or something like that that you do where you're constantly buying stuff for that and you tell yourself you're not going to buy it anymore. Well, once that month is over, you're going to make up for lost time and you're just going to derail all that work that you did the previous month. So I'm always like, recognize, like you said, the things that bring you joy and create that balance in your life. Figure out what your non-negotiables are. Like, what are the things that I just, I just really don't want to give up because they, they make me happy. They make life worth living for me. So these are the things that I want to keep in my life and then alter everything else around it. For me, it's about giving myself options. How can I live a life where I have options, the options to do, you know, what's behind door A or what's behind door B to be able to get cheese on my cheeseburger if I want to, you know, (laughs) those those kind of things. But you do want to have options. And I think sometimes we get so focused on it's either all or nothing that we don't understand like what that balance is and you get burnt out. And for me, after we paid off that $100,000 of debt, I was completely burnt out. And I was like, there would not be another month where all my extra money go towards your debt. I'm just not doing that anymore because I'm thinking a hundred thousand dollars in three years. That's a really nice down payment on a house. I could have fully funded my, my IRA. We could have fully funded 401ks at our job, like all these different things that we could have done. You know, if we just said, how can we balance paying off this debt while also doing other things that are important to us in our life? So those conversations definitely need to be had. Yeah, I love it. You know, Gerald and I are in the same place right now. So we have a pretty aggressive goal to pay off our house. Um, our goal was to pay it off in five years. And then we got here and realized we bought a project, y'all. Like we uh, we had a quick swing around this house, but we didn't really inspect it thoroughly. And we had to go back to California at the time. We still lived in LA. And when I moved here in June of 2019, I kid you not, I walked in and I was like, huh, was this wall here when we saw this the last time? Huh, did this staircase look this way? Hmm. Like everything was like, oh my gosh. But I also knew that it was divine. We are in the exact right place that we're supposed to be. But we had to shift the aggressive pay down. I I, I believe we're still going to do it. But my space pillar means everything to me. Mm-hmm. I am very, very particular about my space. I believe and have everything I teach you guys in the space pillar. I believe it. Right now, our kitchen is still being renovated, and all the things in the formal living room, the microwave is on the floor, the kitchen is in the dining room, things are taped up, plastic off. Like, I am annoyed. <laughs> I can't <laughs> to know it. 
I can't wait. I'm Girl. like, I cannot wait to see this kitchen. Like, I live there. Like, I cannot wait to go in here and cook. Because <laughs> I know Patrice don't cook. So I can't wait to go in here and cook. You know what? You know what? She didn't have to do me like that. Look, it's okay. It's not my ministry. Y'all know. I, I, I share freely here. You know. Right? But my space is so important to me. And at the beginning of the pandemic, even, we were thinking about redoing the basement to be my office. And when it came up, it was like, we have a decision. Like, I don't know what speaking is going to look like. I don't know what my work is going to look like this year, but I know I felt really called to do this basement. Mm -hmm. And still, and so we went back and forth. We could have found several reasons to not do it, but then we came to like, but God had put that on our heart before the pandemic. And so he said, do it. He knew the pandemic was coming. He was preparing me for something else. And that's the mindset we went into. Like, we're going to do it anyway. I kid you not. Before the basement was even completed, I had three brand deals that paid for it. Mm. And one of them said, well, we need to see your space. We're talking to a few different influencers and, you know, it's for a satellite media tour and you're going to have to like manage your own stuff and not go into a studio. And I turned on that camera and they were like, oh, well, well, where are you? Are you in your living room? I'm like, no, I'm in my office. And I start turning the, the camera around. Like I could do this angle. I could do this angle. I have lights. I have a board. I have a hard line sold. So, and it was done. And that was the blessing of obedience, right? Like, so there are a lot of people who would have said, that's dumb. Why would you spend X, Y, Z dollars? We're in the middle of a pandemic on and on and on. That doesn't make sense. But, you know, in God's economy, first of all, it doesn't have to make sense. And no, second of all, all, space is important to me. And if I were not in the right space and cooped up in the house for as long as folk have been cooped up in the house, I don't know that I could have shown up and delivered command the stage or, you know, purpose the platform or these brand deals or anything that I've done because I, I had to make that investment. So it meant being thoughtful about, do I put this money into paying the house off? Cool. My, I would have a greater net worth, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah but I can't see it. <laughs> like I'm still going to be in here mad. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll figure it out on the back end and hopefully attract even more work in the process because I'm in a good space and I have a clearer head and I can think and perform. And before we started recording, you shared a bit of a story too about how as you've been getting clear and making sure you're bringing yourself joy and setting yourself up that you got a wonderful opportunity recently yes. that yes. I want to celebrate. So what you doing these days, Melody? So these days I am the financial literacy lead at the digital banking platform called First Boulevard. Yes, it's a neo bank and it is basically a bank that is geared for Black people, made by Black people. Um, and it is like one of the one of the best positions that I have ever held. And you know, what's crazy, Patrice, is that it's everything that I wanted to be doing, but packaged completely differently. So I had all these like grand ideas for what I wanted Broke on Purpose to look like. And, you know, I, feel, I figured whenever it got there, it would just get there. And But I would just pray about these different things. Well, I would love to do this. Well, I want to do this. Well, I want to be able to impact people in this way. And I would pray about these different things. And 
you know, I was just waiting on God to answer those prayers. And he answered them by just giving me this amazing position. And it's everything I prayed for. But like I said, just packaged completely differently. And you were saying shortly after command the stage, you decided to kind of throw your list away, not throw the list away, but you weren't so committed to writing all the specific goals. What was, what was that about? Yeah. So I did sit down and I was like, I got a planner and, you know, I got a full focus planner and I was like, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write out, you know, my goals for the year, what I want my quarter to look like, like all those different things. And as I sat down and just started to write stuff, something in me was like, stop, just, just stop. Whatever happens this year, you're going to release control. You are just going to go with whatever God tells you to do. You are not going to worry about anything. And what's crazy is that earlier in the year, I had this dream. I had like for the week, I had a series of dreams that always had the same theme of me not letting go of control. Like that was the theme of me trying to hold on to something and not let go. And on the last night, I had this dream. Like I woke up, but when I woke up, I could feel the Holy Spirit, you know, speak to me. And he was saying, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not see it? Right. And when he, when it said that, I was like, I know that verse. I know that verse. So I opened up my Bible and it was Isaiah 43, 19. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Right. And so I took it to heart because I was just like, that means something like I have been holding on to control. I have been trying to do things my way. I have been trying to, to, okay, I'm going to make this much money. How am I going to do it? Oh, I want to do this. How am I going to do it? I have been trying to do everything my way and not really giving God the room to, to lead me into what he wanted me to do. Because I was like, no, God, I'm supposed to go this way, not that way. Like that doesn't make any, what do you mean I need to go? Like that doesn't Uh make sense. Like, so I would always be having these conversations with God, like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, I'm supposed to do this. Right. So when I finally said that I was going to release control and I was going to let, you know, whatever he wanted me to do, I was going to do it. That's when this position became available to me. And like, I wasn't seeking it. It just, it just came to me. And I feel like it was God saying, thank you for being obedient. Here's your reward. So even now, I'm just like, God, whatever you want me to do, if it don't make sense, you'll, you'll make it make sense for me later. But I'll just do whatever you ask me to do, because I realize what reward looks like when you are obedient. Uh, I love it. I love it. I'm so happy for you. Those are those things you can't even pray for. Like when you when you play it back, you wouldn't even be able to write this in a journal. You wouldn't be like, I want to work for a black owned bank created by black people where I could be the lead and I can have a team and I can, you know, be the face of their financial literacy education and do. And and this is the thing, too, that really, man, I just thought about. So it's not like you've had some formal training in financial education things. You're literally using your testimony and the things that you've studied and yes, how you've helped people over the years, but you're literally able to, to do your own thing. Yeah. So I feel like everything, and you know, everything is aligned for a reason. So that was like, I took you through this so that I could take you through this so that you can learn this. And so now that you can teach this, it was like, it's, it's a complete path, like for my life. I mean, I'm formally educated in, again, science. And 
my whole entire, you know, um, training when it comes to finance has been self-training. I do have certifications, you know, I've taken courses, but really it's been like my personal testimony and my love and my passion for seeing other people do better with their finances, because I know that we have the capacity to do so much if we just had the knowledge and we just were able to apply what we learned to our finances. And so like I get to wake up every day and and do something that I love doing. I never knew a dream job existed because I honestly think didn't think that dream jobs existed. Like I was an entrepreneur and I was like, yeah, I love what I'm doing. But there were days where I was like, what am I like? This is crazy. Like, let me, let me see if Starbucks is hiring. Like, this is ridiculous. Right. Because, you know, there are those hard days. Oh, and yeah. So I never... Honestly, Patrice, I didn't believe that dream jobs existed until I started working this one. Like, cause I'm like, this is everything that I've ever wanted to do and I am being paid to do it. And I'm being able to do it on a level that it's so much larger than what I imagined myself doing it on. Right. So, I mean, it's opened up so many doors. And like I say, I'm just going to continue to be obedient and just listen to what he wants me to do so that, you know, this company, this brand can continue to grow, you know, with me being a part of it. I love it. I love it. I'm so happy for you. I'm Thank so you. Happy. <laughs> Super happy. Do you feel like it was worth it to come to command the stage now that you've pivoted into a I really do because I get to share my, like I share my story so much more now and I, I don't say all those big words in the beginning. So, <laughs> but I do. And I feel like it allows me to really share my story in a more personable way um, than I was doing before. So the method that you teach and command the stage, it is, it is something that is, it's challenges you, but once you get through it, you're just like, oh, it just makes so much sense. And I really wish that I would have gone through like your first iteration of Command the Stage, you know, when I heard about it then. Um, but I'm just so glad that I was able to be a part of it and not only be able to work with you, but the amazing people that were in the cohort with me. Like I, we all still stay in touch. Like I'm doing something with Marsha Ann on Sunday. So, oh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I get to see everybody else just like grow and succeed. And I feel like that put me in such a space where I was able to say, Melody, you know what? You can do this. You, yeah. you, you can speak confidently. You can share your story and you don't have to worry about somebody interrupting you, somebody judging you or somebody telling you that you're wrong because this is your story. So you get to command the stage however you want to command the stage. Right. So for me, it's just been these past couple of months have just been just so exciting because sometimes you always wonder to yourself, when is it going to be my turn? When is it going to be my turn? God, oh, I see, I see them doing this and I love it. And I'm so excited for them. But when is it going to be my turn? We all ask ourselves, we've all oh, yeah. asked ourselves those questions, right? So I have to be honest. Absolutely. And sometimes I would say to myself, when is it going to be my turn? Like I'm here, I'm grinding, I'm out here. Um, I'm trying to make an impact. I'm trying to be make an effort. But when is it going to be my turn? Right. And he was like, you're not your turn is not going to look like everybody else's. This is your turn. You don't have to be, you know, on the heel with the big spotlight on you. You can be behind the scenes making the impact. I'm going to cry like this is going to be your turn. So. So this this is my turn. It's your turn. It's your turn. You spoke a word. You spoke a word because that happens no matter who you are. And what you've achieved, you know, 
many of us feel only as good as the last thing we achieved. And then you look around and you're like, well, I can do that. Or I've been doing this. Like, what's, wait a minute. And literally that's been on my heart these last several weeks too. I've been just speaking a lot about obedience and knowing that in one sense, we want to be in a place where when God says go, we go. But the other side of that is when God says, be still, sit your butt down. And for those of us that are doers and we're high achievers and we're list checkers and we are used to the awards, the notoriety, Melody's doing this, Patrice is doing that. And then you get to a season where it's like, hey, hey, not yet. That is hard, but we've all experienced it if we're honest, Mm -hmm. if we're honest. And when we finally release and surrender, it is amazing. It's it's amazing. It seems like, it seems like I used to have a pastor that would say that God could collapse the time. So we might feel like, God, I'm out here. Hello, <laughs> you see me out here? I'm doing what you said. I'm showing up. I'm posting. I'm talking. I'm pitching. I'm doing the things. I'm out here. You told me to come out here. Where is you, right? Yeah. yeah. And then when it's time and when we start to release that control and just get into that space of being obedient, even in the stillness, waiting with expectancy, when it hits, it hits. And it's one of those things to the point of your story that you know it's nothing but God. Mm -hmm. Because you couldn't, you didn't go look for that job. They came and found you. And that's a blessing. Yeah. This was good. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Girl, you about to make me forget the redefining well <laughs> rapid wisdom questions. One moment. So let me tell you, I forgot with one guest and people sent me messages. Excuse me. You did not ask the questions. I said, I sure didn't. I'm so sorry. So let me ask you these quick questions. And you're going to tell us the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. How do you define success? Oh, that's a really good question. So honestly, my mantra this year has been to chase failure. And that sounds weird, right? But I told myself that, Melody, you don't try because you're always afraid that you are going to fail. What if you actually chase failing? What if you try to fail? Because if you try to fail, that means you try. Mm -hmm. So that's why, I mean, for me, success looks like trying something new every single day and chasing failure. And if you catch failure, you might actually get to that success. Wow, you are really good with turning these words around. (laughs) You're very good at that. I love it. Okay, how do you define wealth in three words or less? Living life happily. I think that's how I define wealth. That's awesome. What's one book that has redefined how you see wealth? Ooh, there's so many books. I think the one book, book recently that I've read that's really helped me redefine how I see wealth because it gave me a different way to look at things was a book by David Bach called The Lacte Factor. And I love that book because it really teaches in a digestible way how we should be investing. Um, And it does it so that you understand like the importance of investing. And for me, I knew about investing. I knew why it was important, but now it just broke it down in a way for me to be able to explain it to others and to myself, like why this is something I should be doing right now and not just investing of my time, but just investing of other things as well. 
Love it. David Bach, The Latte Factor. Yes. Got it. And fill in the blank. My name is, and to me, the truth about wealth is. My name is Melody. And the truth about wealth is that it's not what everybody makes it to be. Mm. What is it then? Oh, okay. I finish it. (laughs) So, (laughs) Wealth is being able to live a life where you have the option to choose what you want to do instead of your financial situation telling you what you have to do. Girl. And that, ladies (laughs) and gentlemen, is the end of this episode for the Thoughtful Money series. Thank you so much, Melody. This was such a great conversation. Thank you. Love being on. I always enjoy speaking with you, being in space with you. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Absolutely. All right. Did you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it? Oh, full of so many goodies, so many nuggets. Here's what I want you to remember. No matter where you're starting, you can create a plan to get out of it. I love how Melody reframed this idea of being broke on purpose. So setting boundaries, being able to let people know what your priorities are in this season, sticking to it, Right. And then finding that balance so that you're not living a life of full deprivation, because I don't know how sustainable that really is. It's about the discipline. It's about really being aware of what your goals are and setting your life up to support you getting to that financial goal, but really any goal in your life. Make sure you go follow Melody on Instagram. She's at broke on purpose. She has a lot of great content, things that will just keep This idea of creating the plan that works for you, kind of front and center. Lots of great content there. Melody, thank you so much for being on. I'm super excited to really dive in further. Next week, we will be back with another installment in this Thoughtful Money series. Make sure that you rate and review the podcast. I love, love, love to hear from you. And don't forget, we are discussing what we talk about on the podcast every week in the Redefining Wealth Facebook community. So come on over to Facebook. It's completely free. Look for Redefining Wealth um, with Patrice Washington and I will see you there. I appreciate you so much. And until next time, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later. Later.